The following sermon audio is from The Source Church in Plainfield, Illinois. More information about The Source can be found at www.sourcechurch.net. All right. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? All right. Let's go ahead and stand for reading of God's Word this morning. We're in Hebrews chapter 3 this morning. Reading from the ESV, we're in verses 7 through 19 this morning. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom... Did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is the word of God. Good morning. Uh, Would you pray with me, please? God, we, we praise you this morning, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the rain, Lord, that you bring, that you care for your creation. Where people live, you care for your creation and you provide, and where people don't live, you care for your creation and you provide, because you are the creator of all things. The mountains belong to you and the seas belong to you because you made them. Every bolt of lightning, every peal of thunder, every drop of rain belongs to you and goes where you tell it to go. So, Father, this morning we humble ourselves before your word and we pray that you would speak. God, get me out of the way and let your face be known. Jesus is better. That is the theme of the entire book of Hebrews in three words. Jesus is better. Last week, we saw in Hebrews chapter 3 that Jesus is better than Moses. Now, Moses was a great deliverer. He 
led God's people out of slavery and oppression into freedom. We saw that he was a faithful servant, but Jesus is the better deliverer. He led God's people out of spiritual slavery and oppression from sin into freedom that will never end. He is the faithful son. We saw Jesus' perfect faithfulness, his supreme trustworthiness. And now this week, we're going to see a stark contrast. We're going to see the generation of Israelites who Moses led out of slavery and oppression and their lack of faithfulness and trustworthiness and what that means to us today in 2022 in Plainfield. So would you look at me, please, in Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Follow along with me. Therefore, stop. We can't go past that because we need to figure out what the therefore is there for. Because this isn't going to mean as much if we don't know where we're coming from. What's the connection? So we have to go back to the previous section earlier in chapter 3, where the author tells us about God's house. We have some, some, some language, some metaphor that's used there early in chapter 3 about God's house. And the author of Hebrews says that Moses was faithful in God's house. He says Jesus is faithful over God's house, okay? Moses in God's house, faithful. Jesus over God's house, faithful. And then he says, and we are his house if, conditional, if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So if we hold fast, then we, you and I, are God's house. So therefore, because of that reality, we continue on here in chapter 3. Therefore, because of that, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, you may have noticed that that section looks a little bit different in your Bible than what's around it. It has quotation marks around it. Because the author here is quoting from the Old Testament, specifically from Psalm 95 that Ryan read the first part of earlier. In fact, the entire rest of this section in Hebrews 3 hinges on Psalm 95. Now, anytime that we see Scripture quoted in Scripture, we need to go back and look at the quotation in its original context. It usually tells us more about the passage where it's being quoted. There are other things that the author usually assumes we understand as a reader. And so to make sure that we have all of those things, we need to look at Psalm 95. So keep a finger here in, in Hebrews 3 in your Bible, but flip over to the left to Psalm 95. Middle of your Bible, Psalm chapter 95. We're coming back to Hebrews 3. Flip over to Psalm 95, and let's see what we can learn here, why this is important, why in the world is the writer of Hebrews bringing this in to chapter 3 here. 
So Psalm 95, follow along with me here. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And so we have this incredible psalm of praise. It exalts God in his power, in his authority, in his majesty. He is the king over all gods. This God who formed the depths of the earth and the mountains, who formed the seas and the dry lands, who created us. He is a personal God. He's our God. And we are his. We belong to him. We're like sheep, he says. And he is the shepherd. So today, if you hear his voice, the voice of the shepherd who guides and guards and protects and provides, do not harden your heart. Because that's what happened at Meribah and at Massa. The people there hardened their hearts. And the consequence was that God banned them from entering into his rest. Now, the author of Psalm 95 also assumes that we understand what happened at Meribah and Massa. So the quest continues. Again, the author is alluding to something that's earlier in the Old Testament that's already happened. So we need to keep going. We're, we're still on this quest to figure out what's going on in Hebrews chapter 3. So keep that finger in Hebrews 3. Turn further back in your Bible now. We're going almost all the way back to the beginning. Turn back to the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, to chapter 17. You need to see what happened at Meribah and Massa and why this matters to us. As you're turning back to chapter 17 of Exodus, let me set the stage for what happened immediately prior to what we're going to see in chapter 17. This is the Exodus. So we're talking about the generation of Israelites who are about to leave Egypt. The nation of Israel have been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years at this point. And God raises up Moses to go and to deliver them out of slavery. And there are these 10 plagues that God brings on the nation of Egypt. After the 10 plagues, finally Pharaoh changes his heart and he says to the people, go, 
get out of here, and he sends the Israelites out of Egypt. As they're going, the Egyptians give them gold and silver and clothing that makes them rich. And then God leads them out of Egypt through a pillar of cloud. They just follow this giant pillar of cloud by day, and at night it turns into a pillar of fire, and they follow it. And then they come up to a sea where they can't cross, they can't get any further, and Pharaoh's army is bearing down behind them, and they don't know what to do, and so God splits the sea into two. And the nation of Israel walks across on dry land, over a million of them. Scripture says there are over 600,000 men alone. It's over a million, add women and children, over a million people who are following this pillar of cloud and fire. And now they walk across through the sea on dry land. They get to the other side, Pharaoh's army is bearing down behind them, and God closes the sea and, and destroys Pharaoh's army in an instant. They get to the other side, and now God starts raining bread from heaven and bringing quails into their camp to feed them. That's the context that sets up chapter 17. So now let's pick up at the beginning of Exodus chapter 17, and let's see what happens here. Verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord. And they camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Let's pause right there for a second. Does that seem unreasonable? That Moses has led a million plus people into a place where there's no water and they're thirsty and they said give us something to drink let's continue on Moses said to them why do you quarrel with me why do you test the Lord but the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Those words, those names, Massa and Meribah. Massa, these are both Hebrew words. Massa means testing. Maybe you have a little note at the bottom of your Bible there that says Massa means testing. Meribah means quarreling. So Moses called that place where God provided water out of a rock for a million people. Moses called that place testing and quarreling. Israelites had just been liberated from Egypt in supernatural and miraculous ways. 
the ten plagues, the plundering of Egypt of all their silver and gold and clothing, the pillar of cloud and fire splitting the sea in two, crushing Pharaoh's army in an instant, the daily manna and quails. The people of Israel should have known better than to provoke God or rebel against him. But even though they saw these incredible signs that God had sent in Egypt and in the wilderness, they still put God to the test. So why did they fail? They hardened their hearts. They were surrounded by God's incredible favor and provision, by his power and his authority over all things. But they became callous to all of it. They hardened their hearts, and they lost sight of who God is. And so God, in his wrath, swore that they shall not enter my rest. This now brings us back to Hebrews chapter 3. Now that we have this context, this backstory, Now we can get back to Hebrews 3 and see what's really going on here. So flip now back to Hebrews 3 and look at verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? but to those who were disobedient. So the writer of Hebrews reminds the reader of this story that we just looked at back in Exodus. They all, the original readers of this letter, would all have known this story, and they would have understood all the details that we just went over and much more. So after he's called on the memory of this story and all, everything that we saw there in verses 7 through 11, Without any further explanation, the next thing out of his mouth is, Take care. Take care, he says. Be careful. Watch out. Beware. I lived in Wisconsin when I was learning to drive. And at the age of 16, I'm, you know, as I'm getting ready to go out with the car, my parents looked at me and said, be careful. Because when the sun starts to go down, the deer come out. And we can laugh at that, but it's not funny when you hit a deer. I promise, been there. Be careful when the sun starts to come down. My dad said, don't ever use cruise control on a country road Once the sun starts to go down, keep your foot on the pedal and watch out. I am not 16. It's been many years. To this day, I still get anxious when I think about setting the cruise control at sundown because it was drilled into me. Be careful. That's where we're at right here in Hebrews chapter 3. Be careful. He's asking, do I have your attention? This is like a flashing neon sign right here. Attention. So based on the example of the Exodus generation, we have this warning. 
the writer is pleading with us to obey God's call now better than the Israelites did in the Old Testament, in the wilderness. This is the second in a series of warnings that we have in the book of Hebrews. We saw the first one in chapter 2. Now this is the second warning that we have in Hebrews. And this warning is not for the person sitting across the room from you right now. This warning is for you this morning. And it's for me. Take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. This is for all of us. Notice he said, lest there be in any of you, plural. Take care, lest there be in any of us an evil, unbelieving heart. What we saw in that Exodus generation, the grumbling, the quarreling, the lack of faith, this is what God calls an evil, unbelieving heart. See, a complaining and grumbling spirit always is an indicator of unbelief. We doubt his wisdom. We doubt his goodness. We even doubt his power. Have you ever thought to yourself, this is too big for God to fix? There's a man in the Gospels who came to Jesus whose child was demon-possessed and had been his entire life, and he came to Jesus looking for help. He knew he needed help, and he knew he needed to come to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, if you can do anything. Jesus looks at him, and I won't begin to presume what the expression on Jesus' face was, but he looks at him, and Scripture records that Jesus said, if I can do anything, man said, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Doubt his power, we doubt his worthiness to be trusted. This is only a symptom of a deeper spiritual problem that we have. Poor knowledge of God. That's why unbelief is the root of all sin. It's a refusal to trust that God is who he says he is. That God will do what he says he will do. Sin deceives us. Romans chapter 1 tells us that sin disorients us. It deceives us. Sin causes futility in our thinking. We, we can't think straight. We lose track of which way is up. It's, it's like people who, who drown. Did you know that most people don't drown because they can't swim? Most people drown because they get underwater and they panic and they can't figure out which way is up. And so they start swimming as hard as they can in the wrong direction. And they'll swim really hard sideways, and they'll swim really hard down the whole time 
putting all of their energy in the opposite direction of where they can be saved. That's what sin does to us. It disorients us. Can't see what's right in front of our own faces. Have you ever looked at someone else who's bound up in sin and thought to yourself, how can they not see what's going on right now? Because sin deceives. And it's exactly the same for each one of us. Any sin in our lives deceives us. Has anyone ever challenged you lovingly about sin in your life and your response to them was that you defended yourself and you rationalized that what you were doing was really okay? I have. Because sin deceives us and it hardens our hearts. Verse 13. Hardens our hearts. We're hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And that puts us on a path that leads us away from God. It puts us on a path that leads us away from God. Verse 12, it leads us to fall away. And we don't simply fall away from the living God for no reason. At the root of falling away is an evil, unbelieving heart. So see the progression here. See how this happens in in real life, in our lives. First, sin deceives us. Second, it creates in us an evil, unbelieving heart. Third, it leads us to fall away from the living God. And that brings us to the end of this chapter, verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The last step is we are unable to enter into God's rest. Access to God's resting place was closed to the rebellious Exodus generation, and it will be closed to us if we allow an evil, unbelieving heart. So, that would be terrible news for us this morning if there wasn't something we could do about it. So what do we do? How do we stay off the path that leads us away from God? We don't want anything to do with that path. How do we stay off it? I'm going to offer four responses this morning. Four things that we must do to stay off of that path. Number one, worship the Lord daily in spirit and in truth. Worship the Lord daily in spirit and in truth. Jesus says in John chapter 4, the Father is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. The Exodus generation lost sight of who God is. We must grow in the knowledge of God. And it's right here in this book. Every page of this book is dripping with who God is. 
read and study God's word and always ask, always ask, what does this teach me about God's character? What does it teach me about his ways? Because revelation of God always leads us to worship. Every aspect of his character is worthy of praise. So how could we possibly learn more about him and draw nearer to him without being drawn to praise and worship? Do we truly want God? It's an important question. Do we truly want God? Or do we want stuff? Because if we want stuff, we will not persevere through trials. Remember, we went through the book of Job. and Most of Job's stuff was taken away from him. And that's the whole point of the book of Job. Is it's not about stuff. We need more of God. And we saw in chapters 38, 39, 40 of Job that he got it. He said, I had heard of you before, but now my eyes see you. Worship the Lord daily in spirit and in truth. Number two, thank the Lord daily for what he has done. Thank the Lord daily for what he has done. Look at the Exodus generation. God delivered them. He gave them silver and gold and clothing. He led them. He parted the sea. He destroyed Pharaoh's army. He provided food and water. And what did we hear from them? Exodus chapter 14, complaining and grumbling. Chapter 16, complaining and grumbling. Chapter 17, which we read, complaining and grumbling. Never thanksgiving. Never thanksgiving. Israelites' unbelief was not due to a lack of evidence. They had all the evidence in the world, but because of their hard hearts, evidence never sank in. It never developed faith because they were not thankful. Don't be like them. What was said of Israel will be true of us if we resent the challenges in our lives, real or perceived. Now, let's be honest. There are sometimes very real challenges in our lives, right? I don't want to minimize that or the, or the pain or the suffering that come along with very real challenges. But if we become bitter and resentful about that, we will completely miss the point. God will use those challenges in our life. He promised in Romans 8, he will conform us into the image of Christ. We don't get to choose how he does it. Paul says in Philippians 4, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Thanksgiving leads to peace. Thanksgiving guards our hearts and our minds from resentment, from bitterness, and from entitlement. Brothers and sisters, if there's an uglier place in the world to be, I'm not sure what it is, than to come into the presence of the God of the universe, to look him in the face, and to say, you owe me. What great things have we seen and experienced in our lives from God? What powerful things have we seen and experienced? What supernatural, miraculous things have we seen and experienced? What simple, innocent things have we seen and experienced from God? What mundane things have we seen and experienced from God? And yet we still grumble. Thank the Lord daily for what he has done. Worship the Lord daily in spirit and in truth. Thank the Lord daily for what he has done. And number three, exhort one another daily. Exhort one another daily. Look back at verse 12, Hebrews 3. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that, purpose clause, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another. In the original language, that word exhort is a compound word. It's two other words mashed together. And they mean to come alongside and to call out. This is not, emphatically not, a wagging of the finger. This is a coming alongside in love of one another. To exhort, to build up, to equip, to strengthen. The writer of Hebrews here is basically asking the readers to give one another the same warnings that he's giving us as readers. See, following Jesus is not an individual endeavor. Following Jesus is not an individual endeavor. And man, doesn't that fly in the face of the culture that we live in today? Don't tell me I have to be a part of the group. I'm an American. This is not God's design. Following Jesus is not about you. Following Jesus is about us. We were meant for community from the beginning. There's a reason the entire New Testament is filled with family imagery. All of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus are brothers and sisters. We're family. 
You know, we have all these incredible tools of communication today at our disposal, more than just my phone. Are we using them in ways that draw us and the rest of this faith family closer to God? We don't want anyone here to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we need to be coming alongside and speaking truth and life to one another daily. You need it. Mark needs it. And Pam needs it. And Alma needs it. Ryan needs it. And I need it. friend of mine was a worship pastor at a large church. One day the head pastor pulled him aside and he said, hey man, I just, I want to let you know that you're really doing a great job and you are lifting Jesus up in this place. And my friend grinned and snickered and he said, that's nice, I appreciate it, but just like relax because you don't have to, you know, you don't have to say anything to me. You don't like, but it's between me and the Lord. Well, everything will be right between us. And the pastor looked at me and said, no, you're totally wrong. You need to hear this. And he said, someday you're going to grow up and get to a place where you see how you need encouragement just as much as everyone else. God, keep us from that arrogance of thinking that we don't need that from the rest of our family. So exhort one another daily because not one of us is immune to the deceitfulness of sin. Worship the Lord daily in spirit and in truth. Thank the Lord daily for what he's done. Exhort one another daily. And number four, finally, hold on. Hold on daily. Look at verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ. I have to read that again. For we have come to share in Christ. If, conditional, if indeed we hold on our original confidence firm to the end. Hold on. Endure in faith each day. Every day has its own challenges. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough to worry about. Every day brings its own challenges. Hold on. Hold our original confidence to the end. So what is our original confidence in? It is in Jesus' power to save us. It's the gospel. The gospel isn't something that we hear and respond to once. We need to be continually reminded of its truthfulness and power and hope and promise and deliverance and freedom and grace. Jesus said that God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And Jesus said, behold, I am coming soon. Hold on. When Jesus comes back, he will redeem all of creation and God himself will dwell with us and he will personally wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will die away and we will see his face. Brothers and sisters, imagine a string that starts right up here on the podium and the string goes out towards the back of the room and it goes right out the window and it keeps on going towards the Joliet Mall. That string is a representation of your life. And the part of that string that represents your life on this earth, on this side of eternity, is about the width of a hair. God give us eternal perspective. Live with eternity in view. Daily, even moment by moment, discipline yourself to live with eternity in view. Pray regularly about it. Ask for it. And hold on. Hold on to your confidence. Hold on to your faith. Hold on in trials and tribulations to Jesus. Hold on firm to the end. Would you pray with me? God, we praise you. We praise you. And we long for the day when we will see your face. When the trials of this world will be gone And until then, Father, give us eternal perspective. Show us more of who you are and lead us in worship. God, forgive us for our ungrateful hearts of all the amazing things that you have done. Father, thank you. Even right now in the middle of the morning, we thank you for the food that's in our refrigerators and pantries and cupboards. You are the provider of every good and perfect gift. We thank you. And grow us, Lord, as a church in exhorting, encouraging, strengthening, building up one another daily, as long as it's called today. We love you, God, and we continue to worship you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.